Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Rob. And welcome to episode 31 of the Stream Bucket Podcast. How far we've come. Yes. What are we talking about on today's show, Adam? Well, this is our first of our non-spooky specials. I know, the spooky season is over. Are you happy coming back to the normal format? I am, I am. Improv can be exhausting. (laughs) You hate improv. Do you hate improv? I think so. I think I do. I like certain... What I don't love is when my brain stops working and I have to try and shove inspiration and imagination out of it. And what actually happens is I go, uh, uh, mm, And then, yeah. And we just and then we just panic. I like the panic. Yeah. I think it adds to it. Yeah. I think e- it's fun. Either way. Well, I suppose we'll be probably be doing... I'm not making any promises, by the way, to anyone listening. Um... <laughs> There might be Christmas improv after the tequila exhibition that was last year (laughs) and getting lost in the mall and killing Santa. We Um, saved him. Yeah, saved. I I meant saved. Yeah. Um, But yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a guy from work uh, has been recommending an improv class we should go to. Oh, has he been recommending it? it, What's he implying? Does he mean we're not very good at it? Surely not. No, it's just, it's all practice, isn't it? Yeah. Then go on stage and do some improvs. Oh, oh, look, I've got a fish. Maybe we should do that. Maybe it'd be fun. Just it would, once. It would be worth doing. I yeah. Think. But yes. So, yeah, back to the normal format. Uh, and we were discussing Viva Vendetta. We were. Um, the neckbeardiest of neckbeard films. Yes, the most arty potentials. Male superior intelligence rubbish. Yes. Ever made, which has some good points. We will, we will admit it's not all bad. That's just, I think we quite liked it. Yeah, but it just comes across as, uh, yeah. Like I really didn't like them. I said to you during the screening, like I want one of our characters to punch him in the face <laughs> and just get on with it. Um, yes, but yes, we we discussed that. What else did we talk about? Uh, we covered some current movie news, the likes of Scream Five. Um, I briefly talked about how i was almost murdered by a falling helicopter yes which did happen um yeah and we quizzed each other we did quiz each other and you can find out the results of that uh, later yeah. on mm, yes you can shut your mouth <laughs> shut, no spoilers <laughs> douchebag <laughs> uh, yes indeed we also looked at some trailers coming up as well we did and we've got some reviews coming up as well as well we do yes indeed um, yeah, so let's get into it. Shall we? Yeah. Cool. Hoist the curtain, dim the lights, roll out the red carpet, and welcome your hosts, Adam and Rob. Scream Bucket! Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Rob. And welcome again to Screen Bucket. And we're in November. Yes, it's back to Screen Bucket now. Yes, the spooky season is behind us. It is indeed. Now we've got the cold winter chill. We do, and I'm quite enjoying it. It's nice. It is nice and refreshing, yeah. I'm happy that we don't have to make a film every day anymore as well. Oh, I miss it. It was fun. It was fun. We got to go up the attic lots of times and do silly things. I genuinely feel a bit lost. I've started playing video games again. I've started watching TV. I know. Gross. There is a kind of feeling of uh, we don't have anything to do. We're like normal people, it might ish. 
Mm. <laughs> uh, uh, Normies. Don't be normal. No. No, uh, yeah. We've, so we finished our, as mentioned last time, we finished our spooky season of daily horror homages. We did, and we created our own annual Halloween short as well. Yeah, we did a 48-hour film. Last year it was 24 hours. This year it was 48 hours. The different shows, I think. It does, definitely. Um, we released it on Halloween night. We actually, due to gremlins in the computer, it didn't actually go out on time as expected. It actually went out during the last stream bucket. So, you may not have seen it. If you haven't, do look up Daphne Thunderstorm and the Pumpkin Scarecrow. Yes, starring Annie Knox and yes, it us. Yes, indeed. And Annie Knox will be joining us later in the show uh, with a little interview segment. Yes. Ooh. Interviewing an actress. She isn't just an actress, she's a writer and a filmmaker in her own right. And we give her a bit of a quiz on that later mm. on. Yeah, it's very yeah. nice. But apart from that, yes, what else have we got going on the show? Well, we've got the usual Fortnite Schmort night. Um, we're going to quiz each other. Oh, quiz each other. We are other. going to quiz each other on our favourite movies. Mm. Do ten questions each. What is your favourite movie, Adam? Uh, well, you've teased me about it before. I don't know. I've got loads of favourites. <sighs> Just pick one. Well, uh, Just pick one. Pick one! Pick one! Pick one! Um, What is my favourite? Uh, uh, oh my god! You're doing a freaking film radio show! Yeah, I don't, have, a f- I don't have one favourite. Uh, pick one! What's your favourite song, Rob? Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay, damn it. That, that didn't work. Straight off. Well, Evil Dead 2 is probably the one I know most about. Well, there you go. We'll Let's do go that. with that. One. We'll do that. I'll do Jurassic Park. Okay. Done. Jurassic Park? Yeah. Not Jaws? I was going to do Jaws, but I think I'd probably know more about Jurassic Park. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough, yes. No, cool. Um, So we've got our November... We've tried to theme it. The film we'll be discussing on this show will be V for Vendetta. Because it's November. Absolutely. Guy Fawkes and all that. So uh, we've also got some trailers to discuss and some of our normal gibberings. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. In the meantime, uh, Rob... You've been watching TV. What have you been watching? Oh, there are things that I have watched. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Okay, no, here we go. Yeah. Um, I went on a little Netflix wormhole through the wonderful world of Louis Theroux. Okay, oh, wow. I went way back to one he did in the early 2000s, I believe, where he goes and visits UFO fanatics around the Roswell and New Mexico area. I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a maniac on it. (laughs) Obviously, they're all a bit eccentric but there's this one guy who hates aliens like you know most alien fanatics are kind of like mystified by them this guy he created his own mind gun he has badges on his arm that represents his free alien kills (laughs) which didn't happen mate let's be honest um but he's created this gun that if you focus your mind's energy into it it fires a laser beam which you can't see if you shoot an alien with it that they die and he's got a girlfriend who like is completely like believes all of his sort of nonsense but so what he, if it's true Rob? he runs around the desert and shoots lasers from his mind gun what it, what and then it's, he, true. it's true I, I don't want to live in that world <laughs> but this man is right and he I gets do, another stupid badge that he made himself <laughs> which he sews to his stupid jacket what ah. if it's true Rob I, well do you want it to be true yeah <sighs> 
<laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I found it very fascinating. These, these are alien, there's like entire alien villages where they, um, you know, people come and visit on their way to. Yes, I remember, I remember that really well. Yeah, and um, people get annoyed of each other because they're t- taking their tourism profit away. Yeah. There's like a big sort of turf wars all around aliens. It's wonderful. I um, I'd really love to do that. What? Area 51 Nevada tour. I would. Road trip sort of thing. But they um, took Louis as far as close to Area 51 as they could get. And yeah. Some sort of agency car comes and perches on top of a hill and watches them. Mm-hmm. And all you can do really is drive out into the desert until you're not allowed anymore and then turn around. So, would it be that good? There was not There was a show... Well, not just strictly Area 51. I mean, go to all the start, you know, the cafes and like Paul. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there was a show. There was a show. There was a show that was like um, conspiracies and mysteries. It was like uh, investigating these things and interviewing people about it. And they did Area Fifty One. They went there and they got watched. By, the whole the show was about the Men in Black rather than Area Fifty One. And they got spotted by a man in black. And they were like, "Oh my god!" But the show got cancelled really? after that episode. Yeah. Really? Yeah. What are they hiding from it's us? Stuff like that that makes you go, oh, oh hold on a minute. Um, similarly, I've been watching on my own Netflix uh, trip into insanity, Ancient Alien. Ooh! I love Ancient Aliens. I love Ancient Aliens. It's the most ridiculous documentary. Because believe what you want, the stuff they talk about, yeah, whatever. Give me... But the show, it's, the show hates itself. Really? The show... There's a, a narrator who absolutely doesn't believe in anything that's been discussed. His tone of voice is like condescending, slightly angry. Brilliant. <laughs> so whenever they move into a different top- topic, the narrator would say something like, uh, Is it possible these stones are placed by a source of magic <laughs> as ancient alien theorists believe? That's the thing. It's never... Is it possible aliens built the pyramids? It's. Is it possible some. (laughs) Is it possible some stupid little alien moved something as ancient alien theorists believe? It's ridiculous. And also, they've got the same panel of experts. There's like five of them. Right. Who are in every single episode. All presenting evidence for this for the particular theory that's on that that particular show. Okay, but they contradict each other. Like one of them might believe in Atlantis being a spaceship, right? Right. Just say that. But then in the next episode, he also believes that the Nazca lines were directions to an ancient alien that left us. Surely they don't. They're not both true. It it doesn't. No. It would make more sense if there were different experts per show. And it sort of made... The whole thing is like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? It sounds like they needed to narrate the Sasquatch documentary. Watched, <laughs> where, yeah. the, where the apple gets eaten. Um, yeah. This, this sounds brilliant. Oh, I, I'll actually watch that. I love stuff like that. Some of it's quite good, though. Like, there was... Uh, Josh was teasing me about it, because I was watching it while doing the washing up the other day about Greek gods were aliens, right? Specifically Apollo, because right. Apollo is referenced with the same name in different cultures. Okay. And how he said he was going to leave and go somewhere. He's going to the north to train more people. And then the Norse... Oh! Oh! oh. It's got to be true. Now they've got the same... Oh! And honestly, brilliant, uh, actually. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> 
I also watched the um, latest season of Bojack Horseman. Oh yeah. Which I can't talk about because it's all because it's it's the first of two halves of the final series, and it's all looking back at what's happened. Even the intro is now just a, a, a chronological list of all the things he's guilty of. <laughs> and it's just these memories of them building up to the yeah oh boy the first and the last episode are horrific <laughs> really yeah okay okay quiet on the set we premiere in three two one you're listening to Screen Bucket with Adam and Rob there's a child whose life has changed in the last year he's given up football because he can't see the ball too well he can't cross the road alone because he can't be sure it's clear. And he won't see much of the fireworks this year, because last year, a firework was thrown and blew up in his face. Somewhere, there are other children whose lives are going to be changed. Will one of them be your child? And that was Firework by Katy Perry. Oh. My favourite. Why why did we play that? Because it's the fireworks month. Okay. Fair enough, I guess. It is the month of Guy Fawkes. Mm. who um, I was Googling, actually, and um, I find it fascinating how he died, because famously he was hung, drawn and quartered, but he wasn't, actually. He jumped off the thing. And I don't know if... He he was about to be hung in the start of the hung, drawn and quartered process. Yes. And he leaped off the platform and yeah. broke his neck and died instantly. Hmm. But so that annoyed some people. Yes. I mean, out of everyone who they probably wanted to get tortured a lot... Oh, yeah. They really wanted him to get tortured. He wasn't the leader, though, was he? Was there six of them? There were six of them, yeah. He was just the guy who... They <laughs> <laughs> uh, chose. But, um, and this is what I learned from a horrible histories you showed me episode. Yeah. There was one buffoon who yeah. wrote to his mate in Parliament that said, just so that you know, we're blowing the place up tomorrow, don't come to work. Yeah, and he tips off the cards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What do you think is going to happen? Oh, well, they're going to blow it up. I don't know if I should say something. I'm going to. Yeah, I know. I'm going to say something. It's because they didn't want to kill him because he was a Catholic. Right. Because that's what it was all about, was killing Protestants and the and the king because he was Protestant. Yes. Uh, but yeah. Hmm. Um, last year, we tried to explain... I asked you to explain the story without from memory. Yeah. And I remember you getting it pretty, pretty much accurate. But have you ever tried to explain it to a foreign person. <laughs> no. It's difficult. <laughs> so you say, right, some... To really, really boil the whole story down. Remember remember the 5th of November, where a guy and his mates tried to blow up the House of Parliament with the King, got caught, was nowhere near being burnt alive at the stake. No. no. Really <laughs> unrelated. And the, so we celebrate by burning an effigy of the body... Every year. Uh? It makes no sense. It's the weirdest tradition ever. It does feel like maybe there's a couple things that you're merged in, but Penny for the Guy. Penny for the Guy, yeah. So, why did that happen? Why do we do fireworks? Mm. As well as the bonfire? It's absurd. It's <laughs> bloody absurd. It just, it's just because because it is. Yeah. That's, all, that's the only answer you can really give. Why do we eat hot dogs and... That what stand in a field together and yeah toffee apples, what when Why? did that? <laughs> Do you know what guys? So that's... I've got toffee <laughs> and I've got an apple. So the only thing I can imagine is that the guy thought is just 
burning the effigy of the bad man. It's, this is what we do to terrorists. And it became, and then it became a thing where everyone comes to the same place. So they need food. Mm. Then bonfires were boring, so they put fireworks in. Yeah, it's just one of those weird like traditions just kept that on doesn't rolling really and rolling. make sense. Hmm. It's like at Christmas they keep up coming up with things like a stupid elf on the shelf. Oh, what? Came. I still don't understand that. I want to kill the elf on the shelf. <laughs> I want to rip him in half. We'll talk about it later in the year, but do you remember the naughty elf in Poundland? Yes. <laughs> Absolute filth. What was it? So they had the little elf thing. I think yeah. it's probably the same as the elf on the shelf. Uh, the little elf thing, they made it do naughty things. Right. With the products that they sell. One involving a tea bag and a Barbie doll. Right. <laughs> and there were lots and lots of complaints about these things, and they got removed. But why, why did they ever think stuff like that would pass? Just a moment of madness, isn't it? Literally, yeah. Anyway. Take one dark night in November, add one adult, a tin box with a lid, and a torch. Mix in a liberal sprinkling of children of various ages, and place a few handfuls of well-chosen fireworks all together in the box. Then take out the fireworks one at a time, close the box, and read the instructions carefully using the torch. Light the firework at arm's length, preferably with a safety lighter, and then stand well back and wait. And wait. And wait. Never be tempted to return to examine a dud. It might not be. Add a little sparkle for good measure, and what have you got? The perfect recipe for a safe and happy Guy Fawkes night. It's called the Firework Code, and it's yours free whenever you buy fireworks. Remember, on the 5th of November, follow the Firework Code. I'm just a sweet screen bucket. Adam's Film Reviews. Doctor Sleep, 2019. You're magic, like me. to listen to me the world's a hungry place a dark place hi there i only met two or three people like us they died when i was a kid i bumped into these things i don't know about magic was called it The Shining. Adapted from the 2013 novel of the same name by Stephen King, Doctor Sleep serves as a sequel to The Shining, both the novel and the film. While officially an adaptation of the novel, writer, director, editor Mike Flanagan created Doctor Sleep to tell the story of the book while existing in the same cinematic world of Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece, The Shining. I hope you got all that, listeners. In either case, the film opens in 1980. Danny Torrance and his mother Wendy have escaped the Overlook Hotel and settled down in Florida, as far from snow as it's possible to be. Deeply traumatised by the events of The Shining, Danny is haunted by the spectres of the Overlook, most notably the rotting woman from room 237. Unable to speak and deeply terrified, Danny is met by the ghostly apparition of Dick Halloran, who teaches Danny a technique to imprison the wandering spirits of the Overlook, who have latched onto the shining light of Danny. Years later, Danny, now going by Dan, 
continues to suppress the spirits of the Overlook in his mind. Assisted by his raging alcoholism, things haven't gone well for Dan in the last 30 years. But as he flees his surroundings, he ends up travelling to a small, friendly sort of town where he meets a man by the name of Billy, who lines Danny up with a job, a home and a seat at the local AA group. Things are beginning to look up, with Dan finding solace working in a hospice where he's able to use his shine to comfort dying patients, who affectionately come to know him as Dr. Sleep. Meanwhile, in the fringes of society, a group of mysterious people known as the True Knot feast. Led by the mystical Rose the Hat, which is in equal measures a mysterious and prattish title for anyone, the True Knot subsists on children who, in some way or another, shine. Like vampires of the soul, the True Knot are, in essence, immortal, as long as they continue to eat. However, things are starting to look desperate, and on the verge of starvation, the True Knot kidnap a child and pretty brutally torture him to death, hoping to eke out every last scrap of his power. His screams, however, do not go unheard. A young girl by the name of Abra Stone senses his agony, and in her panic, she reaches out through the shine to Dan. Soon, Dan and Abra are on the trail of the True Knot, but are they strong enough to defeat them alone, or will they need to rely on the ghosts of the Overlook to defeat them once and for all? Doctor Sleep! might be the best sequel that we could have got from The Shining. Don't get me wrong, we don't need it. Indeed, we still don't. Just because Doctor Sleep exists doesn't mean in any way they'll ever feel the need to watch them back to back. While the story is passable, Doctor Sleep has one major flaw for me. It demystifies The Shining. We didn't need to know what The Shining was. And yet, now, we know exactly what it is. It's sort of Jedi magic power time. In the same breath, it explains what was actually going on in the Kubrick classic, and kind of spoils it too. The True Knot, and specifically Rose the Hat, they kind of feel out of place. They, they feel and look like something that would have fallen out of a Neil Gaiman novel, and that's not for me. A vague pastiche of contemporary vampire legend and smarmy top hat wearing villains, I just couldn't care less about them, frankly. That said, Mike Flanagan has done a fantastic job of creating something that, while not needed, just works. Packed full of deliberate shot-for-shot callbacks to the original, echoes of dialogue, and some absolutely miraculous set reconstruction, Flanagan has captured the spirit of Kubrick's Shining without feeling all syrupy about it. Bit weird, then, that the actors taking the place of the original cast just feel like they're wearing cheap cosplay, but hey-ho. I'd recommend Doctor Sleep, if only for the visuals and performances by Ewan McGregor, Rebecca Ferguson and Kylie Curran, who makes a fantastic debut as Abra Stone. Robert. Adam. We are back in the podcast land now. Nice. And I want to recommend to you... Dance Macabre by Stephen King. Why? This is a non-fiction. Right. This is basically a very long essay about why horror films are awesome. Oh, okay, good. Um, he references a lot of horror films. A lot of them you can find online, which is quite cool. I just saw a reference to The Changeling, right? which is on uh, Shudder right now. Yeah, it's really good. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a flashback to kind of... It's almost autobiographical how his he dealt with horror. 
right. as he was coming up. So, uh, the opening sentence is, For me, the terror, the real terror, as opposed to whatever demons and boogies might which might have been living in my own mind, began on an afternoon in October in 1957. Huh. I had just turned ten, and, as was only fitting, I was in a movie theatre. So basically he was watching Earth versus the Flying Saucers. Nice. And it freaked him out. Um, but he goes on to say how... Yeah, he talks about how horror is the safety net of people who are genuinely terrified of the world. Right. Because they've got very powerful imaginations. Okay. So, if you're terrified of walking down the street because a tree might land on you, because you're imagining the tree landing on you, mm. the safest place to be is in a cinema watching a horror film, which is scary, but controlled, and over there. Right, happening to someone else. Yes, that's where it comes from. Right, okay, that's interesting. So stuff like that, which actually goes, mm, okay, yeah, just something. And I suppose he'd know, wouldn't he, Stephen King? Well, yeah, yeah. I really recommend this. This is Stephen King's Dance Macabre, which is basically a collection of essays about horror. Ooh, I'll give that a read. Will you, though? Yeah. Nice. I need. I was actually going to ask you for a book, because I've run out of things to do. <laughs> um, yeah, this is uh, non-fiction. It is worth reading, because it's quite interesting, and especially relevant to us. Nice. Good. Great. Back to the show. Back to the show. Hollow Dell Media's Screen Bucket with Adam and Rob. Right then, Rob. Mm-hmm. We're going to give you a little quiz, aren't we, son? Yep. Right, so this is the Jurassic Park quiz. I found one online to challenge your brain, your dinosaur little peanut brain. Oh, thank you, mate. Did you know that the Stegosaurus had a brain the size of a walnut? Off to a good start. Yeah. A little fact for you before the quiz even started, mate. What colour were the Stegosaurus's fins? I don't know, did I? Because the skin pigments. Oh... <laughs> oh god! I thought you were going. Go, I thought you were going to go. Well, actually, they found a really well-preserved fossil and they were red. So but actually, they don't have fins. It was a trick question. What actually, did you mean plates? Did you mean plates? No, I meant fins because there aren't any. It was a trick question. Oh, shut actually, up, shut up. Yeah. So right here is a Jurassic Park quiz from the Radio Times.com. Ooh. So we know it's good. Oh. Go on, hit me up. Right. First question. Yeah. Where is Jurassic Park set? Isla Nubla. There are multiple options here. Would you like me to give it to you as an option? Or... Well, tell me what the options are, yeah. Yeah, well, you got that one right. Okay. Who did Sir Richard Attenborough play in the film? John Hammond. Yeah. Complete the line. They do move. In herds. What is Dr. Ellie Sattler's job? She is a paleobotanist. Correct. Oh! What is the name of the company that tries to steal the dinosaur DNA? InGen. Oh. Oh, oh, wait, give me the options, give me the options. I, I, I have a right to know the options. I have a right to know the options! <laughs> right, the options are SynGen, yeah. InGen, Aperture, and Biosyn. Ooh. 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 Aperture? <laughs> no! Right. Was it Biosyn? Yeah. Well, it was so obvious. It's got uh, Sin in the name. <laughs> Let's move on. Damn it! What is the name of the cartoon character Hammond uses to explain the dinosaur's creation? Mr. DNA. Give me the answers. Give me the answers. Give me the right question. That was correct. Oh, thank God. (laughs) Who is this character? Dennis Nedry. Correct. Ooh! Which... This is a good question. This is why... This is what made me do the quiz. 
What is the first species of dinosaur that kills someone? A T-Rex? Uh, Dilophosaurus? A pterosaur or Velociraptor? A Velociraptor. Correct. Yeah. Because that was at the, in the intro. Shooter! Shooter! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Complete the quote. Why do I hate? Options. School holidays. Dinosaurs. Being right all the time. Or being stuck at a theme park with kids. Being right all the time. Correct. After the experts arrive, who is the first character to be killed? Donald Gennaro. Right. Ray Arnold. Robert Muldoon. Dennis Nedry. I, believe, I think he's Gennaro because he's the blood-sucking lawyer who gets eaten by the T-Rex. And I believe that is the first post-expert death. Okay, let's find out. Correct. Ooh! Ooh! What is the last thing Robert Muldoon says? Clever girl. Correct. Yes, I'm on fire. One of the options here was bring it. <laughs> bring it, bring it. <laughs> After engineer Ray Arnold is killed off screen... What remains alert the others to his demise? What remains? What, like, body part? His arm. Yeah. Where are Lex and Tim attacked by the Velociraptor? Where on the doll are the... <laughs> um, where? Well, they're first attacked. They're in the canteen and they're going to the kitchen. Kitchen is an option. I think we'll go with... We'll go, what's the other options? Paddock. Hmm? Kitchen. Control room. Jeep. Well, it have to be kitchen. Yeah, kitchen. Correct. And finally, complete the quote. Hammond, after consideration, I've decided not to endorse your part, theme park. Part. Correct. Yeah. Sweet. Right, you got 13 out of 14. I mean, that's pretty good. That's just got a little thing. Clever girl. Oh. You've dinosaured through this with ease. Woo! Ugh. Fantastic. I win. Unless you win. <laughs> oh, mademoiselle, would you like to have a film discussion? Oh, yes, monsieur. I would love to have an in-depth film discussion with you, like I do on Scream Bucket. And that was Evie Reborn by Dario Marianelli. Marianelli? Marianelli. Don't look at me. From the soundtrack of V for Vendetta, which is our chosen film today. Ooh. Mmm, V for Vendetta. I remember watching it years ago. So do I. And I remember it being a lot more cool with younger eyes. Yes. Hmm. So V for Vendetta was a comic book adaptation before that became normal. (laughs) Um, Came out in 2005. Originally, it was supposed to be released on the 400th anniversary of Guy Fawkes. Was that, was that 400 years ago? But then it got delayed and it got pushed back to the following March. Mm. Yeah. That's ages ago. That is ages ago. Well, I'm still harping on about it. Because <laughs> there's a rhyme. Yeah, remember, remember the 5th of November. Everyone needs a rhyme. They... And in fact, that's how we open V for Vendetta. It is how we open with that. Um, what's the cast? We've got Hugo Weaving. We've got Natalie Portman. Um... We've got Stephen Fry in a rare movie role. Um, yeah. And every British bad guy caricature <laughs> ever. Yeah, I mean, you've got John Hurt in the main villain role. Mm. Uh, sort of like almost reprising his 1984 uh, kind of role, just flipping it slightly. We've also got... 
got Roger Allen playing a sort of Fox News TV presenter man who, as soon as he came on the screen, we both went, ooh, yeah, oh, we him. like him. He's in, uh, my favourite role, oddly enough, of him in is Speed Racer, but we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> Have you seen Speed Racer? No, I haven't. Oh, it's very good. <laughs> um, I just think of him as um, the thick of it. Yeah. He plays a sort of bumbling... What do you mean I can't wear a tie? <laughs> bumbling yeah. conservative guy. Um, yes, but, yeah. So, Hugo Weaving plays the main role of V, a Guy Fawkes mask wearing badass. Yes, like a vigilante um, who's fed up with the state of the country and its government. Yes, very wordy man. Yes. So Hugo Weaving never shows his face in the film. No. It's always behind the mask. Because the character of V isn't really supposed to be a person. It's an idea. He's personifying an idea. We are all him. Mm. Which is where, which is why Anonymous and other activist things have used that visual yeah. identity, that mask. We are many, we are against the yeah, mighty, absolutely. and so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Rob, what happened in V for Vendetta? So, Evie um, is having a little walk, and she, um, uh, I think the bad baddies are called Fingers, uh, strangely enough. What are they called? Fingermen. Fingermen. Yes. You don't want to be called that, no. I don't think. <laughs> anyway. They're the secret police of the fascist government that's taken over. Yes, and uh, she's cornered in an alleyway. They're about to be nasty to her. Oh, yeah. and Shockingly so, yeah. Yeah. And then V comes along and saves the day, and then he says a load of Vs in one sentence. Voila! In view, a humble vaudevillian veteran, cast vicariously as both victim and villain by the vicissitudes of fate. This visage, no mere veneer of vanity, is a vestige of the vox populi, now vacant, vanished. However, this valorous visitation of a bygone vexation stands vivified and has vowed to vanquish these venal and virulent vermin vanguarding vice and vouchsafing the violently vicious and voracious violation of volition. And already you're kind of like, the eyes start to roll. (laughs) And you kind of understand why neckbeard culture has also taken in V with open arms as well. Because it's it's this pretentious superior man Using his big, fat, intelligent words to woo the lady who's just been attacked after saving her life. It's so... The lady who incidentally we keep cutting back to and she's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Hell, you stop using... It's <laughs> a precarious vision of the... Yeah, so they... Um, the reason she gets torn in the first place is because there's a curfew on. Mm. We're in, living in the London in the near future-ish uh, where a neo-fascist sort of very very heavily nazi germany inspired Mm. um power has taken over much like 1984 and there's even references to george orwell's 1984 in the background of that scene you've got a a sign up that says um strength through unity unity through faith so it's faith powered isn't it it's yeah it's a it's a more christian definitely christian because they kind of reference it throughout the film i think when one of the news things at the start there are there's homosexuality's bans um yes. muslim people they reference allowed. muslims homosexuality art yeah they've restricted all of this stuff that they don't it doesn't fit in with their their vision um i read that the so it's very heavily nazi germany the reason why it's muslim rather than jews because they were trying to shift it towards Modern day politics. At the time this film came out in 2005, 
War on Terror was big. That was kind of the the reference there. Right. But yes, let's carry on with from there. Um, so V blows up the old Bailey and he, like some sort of weirdo, he conducts the thing. Yes. Um, and then he says, he broadcasts to the world uh, later on in the day. They so He sort of breaks into the TV station and broadcasts the world. In one year, um, you're all going to march on Parliament. Yeah. And, um, so he does it at the stroke of midnight on the 5th of November. Mm. He blows up the old Bailey and then announces the 5th of... Remember, remember, the 5th of November. This time next year, we march on Parliament. Yes. So naturally, the baddies are freaking out at that. Yeah. And immediately, Evie, Natalie Portman's character, is becomes sort of public enemy number two to V. Yes. She doesn't last long... Being free after that point, the CCTV cameras pick her up. She ends up getting basically kidnapped by V. Yes, locked away in his underground nerd basement <laughs> full of nerd things. Yeah, and art and music and various other sort of banned things that he he nicked. It's quite boastful of it. He's a bit of a douchebag, really. He is. Uh, um, V is not a hero I really aspire to be. He's he's a bit of a they make lots of references to the um, Count of Monte Cristo. Yes. And comparisons with him. Edmund Dante. Absolutely. So, a prisoner who escapes his wrongful imprisonment and plans his revenge and works away in the background under a new persona. Um, that's kind of where he is. And he decides that he's going to keep Evie as a little pet. Even refers to her as her... Mercedes, doesn't he, at one point? Uh, like, yeah, know. he does. The love interest from... It, uh, I can't stand him. No. Which is annoying, because Hugo Weaving is one of the most likeable characters. When I, whenever he's in something, I love him. But he's, this... It, I, yeah, it... I can't, and I don't didn't really enjoy Evie, either. Was it the British accent which kept going Cockney, and we're going to go back to Posh again, and then up north? It was... But the, his relationship... V and Evie's relationship was so... I mean, we're talking abusive relationship here. Locking yeah. her in a room. For the best part of the year. Making making her do his bidding, basically, as he tries to brainwash her. It was so... And, of course, because it's a film from the early noughties, naturally that becomes a love interest situation. Mm. And it just felt like Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. It just felt like she was his prisoner. It was awful. There were several times in the film where it kind of felt like he was, he knew what was best for her. Using his control and his will, he makes her a better person. That's how it is. It's, and it's not a, not a good theme, really. She even tries to get away from him mm. and then ends up ruining someone else's life and then coming back to him. Yeah. It's, it, it's just a damaged relationship playing out, really. Mm. Um, I read that the comp... So Viva the, Viva Vendetta was a comic uh, by Alan Moore, famous comic scribe, and David Lloyd. Alan Moore refuses to be credited on this film because he hated uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and From Hell. After this film, he also hated Watchmen and various other things adapted (laughs) from his works. But anyway, uh, one of the reasons he hates this is because by being adapted by the Wachowski brothers, Mm. sisters as they are now, um, who did uh, The Matrix, famously, they made it more 
American. Yes. They brought it all up to date, and that meant, in this time of war and terror, that meant it was all sort of American stuff. Mm. That's where the Christian thing comes from. That's where the weird news broadcast, which did not feel English or British in the slightest. No. They might as well just have done it in America. Yeah. It was very, um, yeah, screwed up. It felt weird, where all the baddies are very English, they're very suits and tie, and all this stuff. And then all, every time we see the news, they're, hi! With that in mind, I guess you could argue that maybe it's for an American audience anyway. So we're much less likely to like it than Americans. Americans might find it quite mystifying, all of the crap Britishness involved. I guess so. I mean, we did enjoy the Britishness when it did come through. Mm. Things like... Mostly just side characters swearing. The round ta- yeah. <laughs> the round table of baddies who are all so evil. <laughs> Man, you have had four hours, you had better have results. Mr. Creedy. The Bailey area is quarantined. All significant witnesses have been detained. Good. Mr. Etheridge. A recording device was found wired into the central emergency broadcast system. DCD was Tchaikovsky's eighteen twelve overture. Added to the blacklist. I never want to hear that music again. Yes, sir. Um, we were saying that the the best thick of it episode ever would be following <laughs> the suited guys from uh, from the Vendetta Jet Show. Oh, oh, he's coming here again. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Has he seen me? Has he seen me? <laughs> uh, one of the other main characters, uh, the Chief Inspector Finch, played by Stephen Ree, who, again, fantastic actor. I was much more drawn to him and mm. his assistant than I was the main character of the film. It was compelling. They were compelling. The way he was unravelling the mystery, that was what was actually quite good about it. Yeah. Although, as you pointed out, he um, when he solves it, he has this monologue that uh, sort of explains the convoluted plans of V. Oh, it was all connected. And we know. <laughs> we, we know. We watch, it, it said, <laughs> he, he says it was all connected, and then there's a flashback going through the film. There was no twist. No. There was no complicated storyline. It just showed the events of the film that happened. Yeah. So you, can't, you don't get the right to do one of those things. If, if we, we don't need to work it out. It, was, it felt like it was trying to be smarter than it needed to be. Exactly. Um, Give and, the impression as well. Yeah. It, it just lacked something. And, of course... It is older now. Mm. It is coming up to 15 years old. It's noughties dated. It's noughties dated, yes. Mm. And it's it's very simplistic in its, uh, in its black or white morality, I think. There's, uh, there's two things that it absolutely has going for it. Mm. The Houses of Parliament blowing up looks awesome. Like, yeah, I think most of the effects look really good, actually. Except for the knives. Except for the knives. Except for the... That was uncomfortable and embarrassing. But most importantly, and I think everyone will agree, the best thing about Viva Vendetta is that Sasquatch is in it. <laughs> yeah! About a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> yeah, our, our little friendly mascot Sasquatch was in Viva Vendetta. We, so we're watching it, and it comes to a bit where Stephen Fry's character, he's the TV presenter, he does a comic sketch of John Hurt's character being chased around in a stupid sort of um, Benny Hill theme. Yeah, 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 yeah. And as the cheerleaders are running around and people are being chased, out of nowhere, Sasquatch, <laughs> our Sasquatch, yeah. runs out. It looks and, identical. Yeah. And we both, we, we, we're both watching, both at the same time. Sasquatch! 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. 
That was magical. A oh, magical moment. It made it made the film for me. <laughs> um, well, there was something else, didn't it? I liked the voices. Oh, blimey. <laughs> I can't repeat some of it because most, most of them were swear words. Mm. Oh, fiddlesticks. On that note, I don't think... V for Vendetta makes it into our Holodell Media Hall of Fame. No, I don't think so. But uh, it's not that bad, I suppose. It's definitely one of those films that a certain type of person owned and talked about mm. back back then. And now, probably, it's the same type of people. Um, yeah. I mean, V, throughout it, you can just dub over him, just going, Oh, mummy, <laughs> oh, I've, got, I've got all this stuff and I want to show it off. I know what women really need. Uh, yeah. They need to be shaped and moulded by now me. Look, now look here, Evie. This is how you make a sandwich. <laughs> it's for your own good. Oh, oh, I hated him. Hated him. And there's one bit I won't talk about. There's one bit that just made me go, oh, well, I hate him. <laughs> I want him to die. He's awful. Awful character. But yes, I can see why people might have latched on to him. But anyway... Mm. Let's end with a snippet of the Overture 1812. I'm just a sweet screen bucket. Assassin's Creed Syndicate is, believe it or not, in a surprising amount of people's top games lists for this generation. That is especially surprising considering it did so poorly that it, together with the constant negative press, convinced Ubisoft to take a year out to come at their next game in the series, Assassin's Creed Origins, from a different angle. Sure, there's still lots of climbing. Yes, there's still a whole lot of defogging of maps and jumping from high points into piles of hay or leaves. And yes, there's still plenty of irony surrounding the actual assassinations. I mean, it's still just as easy to run in and stab the target in plain view, and then leg it as soon as the iconic bloodying of the feather has finished. But the combat has changed, and the game is a lot bigger, and it's in Egypt. I decided to tackle the next two titles in my previously mentioned Games of the Generation series back to back to see just how much change there was between the two games and well, it turns out there wasn't a lot. And that's not a bad thing by any means, I actually found myself quite enjoying Syndicate by the end and Origins was a really pleasant jaunt through Egypt where I did a fair amount of learning on the way. Plus there is quite a cool bit toward the end which gave me a bit of a history-gasm. The story is strong in both games. Do I think they needed to change the Assassin's Creed series? Yes, I do. Do I think they changed it enough? No, I don't. Thing is, Syndicate is a good game. It wasn't going to blow you away, but I think the only reason it performed so badly was because of Assassin's Creed fatigue. Origin is also a good game. It does initially feel different to the rest of the series, but after a few hours, you end up back into the same routine. Meet someone, they ask you to kill someone, you go kill them, you come back, and they thank you, and you move on to the next. Rinse and repeat. And that is my biggest problem with the Assassin's Creed series in general. It's still just the same game every time. There was all this talk of big changes to the series, but really, fundamentally, you're still doing the same thing 
every game, but in a different setting. The only real major difference between the two games is the length and size of Origins. Some people would say that is a good thing. I say that is a bad thing. It's overwhelming. By the end, I had barely defogged half the map. And talking of endings, well, I honestly have never known a game to have as many endings as Origins. I had no complaints about Syndicate, it ended just right, but Origins keeps building and building to an end that never seems to come. Then it does come and it's like, is that it? Oh, and as I've already mentioned, the combat has changed, I will give it that. It's kind of like Dark Souls meets Rise Son of Rome, but in all honesty, after a while, I found the same animations just repeating again and again. There's nothing groundbreaking about it like so many have claimed. Would I recommend either of these games? I'd probably recommend both of them to be honest, Syndicate more so though. Do they deserve to be in a list of games of the generation? Not mine, but I can understand why somebody would include it if they're into that kind of thing. It's just, it's not groundbreaking, it's not something that's gonna change the games industry, it's just more Assassin's Creed. Hollow Dell Media's Screen Bucket with Adam and Rob. Well, Robert, uh, there's someone in the room with us. I know, an actress, a real-life actress. Actress or actor? What do you say now, Annie? Either. Either. Either is good. We have an Ivo in the room. <laughs> we have an Ivo with us. A professional Ivo. <laughs> yes. And Hello, Annie. Hello. Who are you, Annie? My name is Annie. Indeed. <laughs> Annie Knox. Yes, Annie Knox on the door of success. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Good. Is that Thank why you. your name is that? <laughs> no, that is actually just my name. Okay. But I just like to say that. Okay. Yeah. That's brilliant. So Annie played Daphne Thunderstorm in our horror Halloween special. Daphne Thunderstorm and the Pumpkin Scarecrow. Absolutely. So that came out on Halloween. I, if you haven't seen it, you should. Yes. Why are you even listening to this if you it's haven't seen it? excellent. I'm in it. Absolutely. So, the already. mark of success. Exactly. <laughs> Indeed. So, um, yeah, how, how was it playing Daphne Thunderstorm? It was wonderful. Have you always wanted to be an ace journalist? Do you know, I actually, before I wanted to be an actress, I did think about going into journalism. Oh, really? Yeah, I did. Hmm. Considered it for a while. Considered it or did you study it? No, I didn't study it, but at the time I was uh, writing creatively anyway. Okay, yeah. I thought it would be a good day job on the side of writing horror novels. Yeah. If I could practice writing as a journalist... But um, I don't think I'm cut out for that life. Oh, uh, well. It's always worth a try. You might dip back into it at some point. Maybe. When the need arises. Yes. So you're not just an actress, you're a writer as well. Yes. Um, you've Writing or written a novella. Yes. Yes, mm. yes. Can you share any light on that? Yes. So my first novella, which will hopefully get accepted by someone somewhere in the world at some point soon, <laughs> um, has so far been rejected 29 times by my count. 29? 29. So it's a bit of a record. Um, but basically, it's based on a nightmare I had when I was like six or seven, uh, where in the in the dream, I fell through my bathtub and woke up in this strange land in this house that was filled with vines that tried to eat me and my friends. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and then when I got older, I was like, I could make this into a cool story about drugs. Um, <laughs> okay. And then so was born my novella. Amazing. Ah. Yes. So how long ago did you start working on it? I think I, I first must have written it up when I was 11 or 12 or something like that into a short story. 
And then, like, every two years since then, I've rewritten it into some form. And then this year, I kind of sat down and I was like, this is actually quite a good book now. Okay, cool. Um, So, yeah, hopefully. That's really cool. So it's a novella now. Yes. Would you consider making it into a film? I would. I would love to make it into a film, actually, because I think... There's lots of it that could look really cool on a screen. Mm. If it was filmed right, it would have to be quite trippy in some points, quite yeah. abstract. That's, that's quite really a lot of special effects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of special effects. Lots of vines moving and stop yeah. motion sort of things. There's vines moving. There's a scene with a huge fire. Um, there's all these weird creatures in the woods that are kind of like shadows. So I'd need Ooh. lots of puppetry, maybe. Oh, that's <laughs> cool. Terry Gilliam-esque Fear and Loathing oh, yeah. vibe going on there. There is a scene where the characters all first take this drug called Dimension, which is the title of the novella, um, and they all start to see weird stuff. Like this one character laughs, and the laugh becomes a physical thing that like clogs up his throat and then falls out into his lap. Oh! So I'd need to find a way to like show that on screen, but it could look really cool. It could look really cool. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely Terry Gilliam sort of yeah vibe, isn't it? Are you familiar with Terry Gilliam? No. Okay. So, like, Time Bandits, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yes, yes, mm. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. That's cool. Love it. So you're, so not only are you a writer and actor, you also direct films, is that right? Yes, yes, yes. So, um, I've directed, I've fully directed and produced one film, kind of co-directed and co-produced another. Okay. And, yeah, like, half-directed a third one a few days ago. So you're just mad about creating stuff? Yes. I love that. Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of similar vibe to what most of our stuff is. Mm. Just want to One make of us. Mm. One so of us. we had met Annie before filming Daphne Thunderstorm. Yes. Annie was one of a few people we invited to our auditions for Quaggers. Mm. How was that? The audition? Um, there was a moment, because like on Starno and Mandy, you always have to be careful because there's always going to be someone who isn't actually a filmmaker, who's just okay. like a weirdo. Really? And yes, absolutely. I and totally There see was that. one point where I'd walked all the way from Hitchin Station <laughs> and I was coming towards where you guys were and you know you were like kind of really far back. Yeah, oh yeah, all the way down. So I was going up and I couldn't see anything that looked like an audition space. I could just see houses and I was like, this is it, this is where I die. <laughs> um, but then luckily it wasn't. I saw all the weird signs that you posted. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so we were in the industrial estate in Hitchin, and we were, you do go through a housing estate. Yeah, that's where you Yeah, mean. yeah, so yeah, I yeah, was yeah. semi-convinced that this was my we time. Did, we did wonder that when we were setting up, I remember that. Yeah, and we did have an actress who never showed up, and we kind maybe of theorised. Yeah, <laughs> we thought that the actor who came before her mm. got her on the way. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a yeah. whole other story that we can't. He, he wasn't a, a person you want to be left alone with, was he? No, no. no, 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 no. <laughs> it's actually funny that you say that because I did have a film idea that came out of you guys not casting me. Oh, awkward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whereby an actress would go after an actress who got a role she wanted and then take the role from her oh, in a nasty yeah. way. <laughs> wow. So she could murder the actress who was actually picked. Yeah. I mean, that's that was an cool. idea I had, um, <laughs> oh, but I obviously didn't do it. <laughs> Just an idea. You kept your original actress, so she didn't. It never happened. She's still alive. Yeah, exactly. Well, we haven't seen her in a while. Shh. That's true. Shh, <laughs> <laughs> do you want to be in Quaggers? <laughs> still too late to be soon. <laughs> <laughs> say pulling my hair out. Ah, oh, no, that's true. So you, you didn't just go for Quaggers. You went for a few films at the same time. Yes. So. 
What else did you have at the at the time? Um, so I auditioned for a film called Frank, which I was cast in uh, after another actress dropped out. So I wasn't the first choice, but uh, I think I mean I hope this actress is okay. Whatever happened, but I'm very very glad that I no yes no it sounds bad no it sounds bad. Oh, I hope um, she's okay. <laughs> down that well. I was, go down I was stairs. very lucky to have got the role though, because it did. I mean, it eventually led to four other film roles through well, contacts cool. I had on that film. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So, like, the, was it the same producer or same director or no, something? No, so my co star, Adrian, who is the editor who has edited my first film, uh, he's actually one of my absolute best friends now. I'm so glad I got to meet him. Mm. Uh, he got me a role in a film up in Yorkshire where I played this kind of seductive spy. And then f- the DOP from that cast me in his film. Oh, that's true. And then from that, like, another cast member kind of just went on. That is what it's all about. We've said a few times before, doing Quaggers, doing the whole audition process, we've met so many people. Mm. Even just talking about the film in the pub, people have come out and said, oh, I do film stuff. And you're like, yeah. oh, yeah. okay, that's really cool. It's funny, it just when you start just doing things, I think, things gravitate towards you yeah. yeah you meet like-minded people and networking begins yeah mm-hmm. i think that's the key to sort of because film's the most collaborative art form it's the only one where you need other people really yeah i mean you could do it all on your own but it'd be rubbish mm. um <laughs> but yeah i think that's the one where people need other people and they will throw themselves at you one of our runners on our first shoot day was a writer director they just mm. wanted to meet cool. other people so they came yeah. did an unpaid running gig mm. i wouldn't do that no. <laughs> I don't know why. I just I think that sounds awful. But yeah. Knackering. I, what, can, oh, how much can you talk about the vagina film? Uh, a fair, a little bit, a little bit. I'm allowed to say some stuff. Okay, does the vagina film give it away? Me saying the vagina film. I mean, film? no, the title of it is The Quest for the Quantum Vagina. <laughs> yes. So that, that already gives it away a little bit. Okay. To be fair. <laughs> so yes. what can you tell us? So... Mm, how much of the synopsis can I tell you? It's basically, it is about a quantum vagina. Um, <laughs> okay. If you've ever seen the movie Teeth, right? it's a similar concept. I won't give the plot away, but it's a similar concept, except with like a, a portal to another world instead of dental stuff. Doesn't quantum mean the smallest possible... Yeah, there's a lot of uh, physics. Involved. Okay, okay, cool. There's, it's quite interesting. When you watch it, there's a lot of... Uh, philosophy sounds almost lovecraftian as well this dimensional yeah. vagina. there is there is a hint of yeah. lovecraftian into it well, that's cool so what are you doing on that one uh, i was the lead actress okay oh wonderful it should Brilliant. be out soonish okay we yeah. will 100 percent be watching that <laughs> <laughs> no chance we won't be absolutely so we're coming to the end of our slot yep. is there anything else you want to promote where can people find you um you can find me on google Okay. There you go. Uh-huh. Instagram. Follow me on Instagram. I'm Annie... really cool, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they can find you at Annie. Annie Knox. That's it. Cool. K N O X. That's the one. Lovely stuff. Okay, well, see you soon. Yes. Yeah. Good reconnecting. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on, Annie. Oh, oh hello, hello. Buenas noches, eh? In here. <laughs> Salt in it, everyone. Put the salt in it. Uh, yeah.
Merci. Buenas noches. Welcome to Fortnite Schmort Night. And remote control helicopters are falling out of the sky and almost killing me. <laughs> I want to start with that because yesterday I was walking through the streets of Welling Garden City and all of a sudden, smashing metal all around me. I was terrified. I almost died. What? what uh, yet yeah, why? What happened? I was walking down the street and next, right next to me, metal started shattering and bursting and... I eventually realised that I think someone had hurled a remote control helicopter and the control off of a bridge or something like and that. And the control as well? Yeah, the control was there as well. Oh, okay. So it, didn't, it wasn't like, I don't think it was flying and plummeted. I assumed that an enraged parent had enough of their child's bullcrap and just decided to hurl it. It was terrifying. That's... That's really bad. Yeah, it was horrible. And it, it landed in the road where there were cars driving and stuff. Like I was on the pavement next to it. And, and the control... Maybe it came out of a box or something. Maybe. But there's no need. It was huge, though, you said. It was big. Yeah, there's just no need for it. <laughs> so, uh, thanks, Wellin. Did you hang around to see if anyone came running? I basically did this horrible meerkat twitch of <laughs> absolute fear. And shuddered for a while and then kept walking. And if anyone saw it, I would have thought it was the most manly thing ever. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that manly man. Yeah. Twitching with manly rage. <laughs> it was so horrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, moving on. Yes. Um, I, I initially sighed at this news, but now I've kind of warmed up to the idea. Scream 5. Yeah. So on November the 7th, Deadline confirmed that Scream 5 is now in the works at Spyglass. Spyglass... Um, has got a hold of the Dimension Library after joining forces with Lantern Entertainment. Um, at this point in time, we know nothing. We don't know if Kevin Williamson will be back. We don't know if Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox or David Arquette will be returning. We know nothing. Um, so what I'd ask you, Adam, is, I mean, where does it go from here? Stop. Stop. Stop doing things bad. I know. I mean, Scream's always been a commentary on the horror genre itself, a pastiche. Um, but is there anything... What is horror at the moment? Well... Horror's a lot at the moment. It's not one specific thing. It's definitely more diverse than before. I think Wes Craven, when he did Scream, he was doing that off the back of a history of reinventing horror. Mm. Um, so Nightmare on Elm Street arguably was just a response to things like Halloween, Friday the 13th, which were both themselves rip-offs, but they launched the, the 70s and 80s brand of horror, the slasher films. Scream was a response to that, and in itself inspired the 90s and noughties uh, I know what horror. you did last summer, etc. Yeah, the teenage um, horror genre, basically. Yeah. Um, what's the point of five? What's it going to do? Is it going to do I mean, nothing? There's been lots of ghosts, like Insidious. Maybe he's pretending he's a real ghost. I don't know. It feel, I feel like there's there's better ways of... If I mean, this is assuming it's not just going to be a nostalgia trip. There'll be better ways of doing something in a similar vein. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, um, in a way, Conjuring. In a way, Conjuring kind of did that because it, it brought in the based on real life kind of horror in a way that could be told in chapters because it's following the investigators more than so yeah. that something like that where they could go and look at different types of horror yeah that's a better way of doing that yeah definitely I mean if they, I mean as long as they don't kill Sidney Prescott off 
right at the start and pretend that it's shocking. You know, I wouldn't even mind if she turned out to be the killer. I think that'd be cool. Because oh if, yeah, she just lost it completely. If you get attacked four times, eventually you're gonna go mental <laughs> and just start <laughs> yeah. killing everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it, I yeah. mean, unless they do the Halloween and also equally Terminator Dark Fate route, where she's an older woman. Mm. Coaching younger people in this situation—that'd be cool. Yeah, and or she, she's not involved at all, and she tracks it down. She appears on the scene. Yeah, but we'll, yeah, we'll put a pin in that. Uh, please don't screw that one up because I like Scream very much. Um, moving on, James Dean. So, <laughs> Rebel Without a Cause, East of Eden. He's one—he's one of the most iconic actors in movie history. Um, and he's been reborn through the use of CGI in the upcoming yes. Vietnam movie, Finding Jack. Co-director Anton Ernst told that this makes me a bit sick. Yeah. Right. He told The Hollywood Reporter, we searched high and low for the perfect character to p- portray the role of Rogan, which has some ex- extreme complex character arcs. And after months of research, we decided on James Dean. That's, that is the most insulting thing. There's so many actors looking for work. Exactly! Exactly! That's like, that's the equivalent of, oh, we couldn't find anyone good enough to write this book, so we got Shakespeare's <laughs> words and reformatted them. It's nonsense! What? It's nonsense! And quite rightly, Chris Evans, Elijah Woods, like loads of the Hollywood community have come out and said, this is just wrong. Well, yeah. I mean, there's now, after, um, after Rogue One, mm. when they resurrected Grand Moff Tarkin and uh, Princess Leia as a young yeah. New Hope woman. Uh, people put in their contracts that you should not own my face. Wow. You know, for you. The fact that that exists surely disqualifies the use of already dead people. Yeah. Like, okay, fair enough, Rogue One was weird seeing them, but at least the characters kind of made sense why they would have done that and put them back in. Yeah. Even though they could have just got an actor and put make one, but whatever. Yeah. Uh this is just ridiculous. It's so dumb. It's well, they're doing it with music, aren't they? They had like holographic, like uh, Michael Jackson uh, tours, and it's just so dumb. But yeah, but at least at least use people who've used have given them permission to do it. Yeah, not long dead. Anyway, yeah, it's so dumb. Um, what else? Bill Murray has been officially confirmed to reprise his role as Doctor Peter Venkman in the upcoming Ghostbusters 2020. Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd confirmed the news on the Greg Hill Show, adding Jason Reitman wrote a beautiful heartfelt script that takes the real DNA from the first two movies and transfers that directly to the third, the next generation. It hands the legacy off to a new generation of stars and players and actors and characters. And yeah, Stop, stop doing, stop it. Yes, I agree. It's just... Do something new. Bill Murray... In the last few times I've seen him, especially when he's related to Ghostbusters, looks like he'd rather be dead. Yeah. I, you I, you have watched the 2016 one, haven't you? Um, I tried. I, got, I lasted 25 minutes. Did you see him in it? No. Okay. Did you just phone it in? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. He did not want to be there. He <laughs> barely acts. He looks miserable. He looks like the zombie from Zombieland. Brilliant. He just... He didn't want to be in Ghostbusters 2, let alone... I don't have a problem with them keeping Ghostbusters alive. Whatever, it's a, it's a fun concept. But, I mean, don't just try and shove it out the door in any way you can. They're doing it just to wipe the 
people's mouths clean, aren't they? Yeah. They're trying to make the last Ghostbusters film not the one everyone hated. Yes. But at the same time, just stop. Just stop it. I agree. I agree. Carrie Fisher's brother Todd has revealed that the original plan for the end of the current trilogy was to have Princess Leia realise her full potential. Ooh. She was going to be the big payoff for the final film. She was going to be the last Jedi, so to speak. Mm. Now this is interesting because it means the writers had something planned. Yeah, which goes against everything I believed before. Because, yeah, I understood that they didn't have a clue what was going on. That's why the last trilogy has been a mess. Yeah. Interesting. And it's, good, and it's a good idea. Unless they, like just, unless they just had that in reserve. Mm. Because it does make sense, because she did show some show some quite magical powers. The space float. The space float. Mm. That kind of makes sense if they're building her up. Yeah, that would have been good. That would have worked. So, yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, that is a shame. So instead, they're going to mash outlets. I did see another headline for related to Star Wars where the crew were shaken by a scene from the new film. Yeah, something, a sunset scene or something. Hmm. What could that mean? What could that mean? We'll see. And finally, Bruce Campbell has become the latest actor to share his two cents on Martin Scorsese's criticism of uh, the MCU. Mm. Um, appearing at Spooky Empire, a Q&A session, Campbell said it hurts because the movies aren't easy to make, um, which is a good point. And he also rather astutely pointed out that Scorsese's new film, The Irishman, uses more CGI, CGI than any Marvel movie, which is a bit of an exaggeration, but there is uh. a lot of CGI in there making them faces younger. Boom roasted. Um, but here's the kicker. Yeah, every single bit of every movie is bull plops. There's just good ball plops, bad ball plops, and some boring ball plops. It's all as fake as you can get. Are you right? Yeah. I mean, when it comes down to just base storytelling, I think that's probably what he meant. Yeah. Rather than use of CGI. Do you reckon? I think so. Because CGI is just a tool. But when it becomes main characters, I think that's probably where it's getting at. Mm. But there's always been movies like The Avengers, and they might have not come in a comic book format, but they are essentially just blockbusters with action. There's nothing wrong with them. No. I think um, I think it's the fact that so much film resource gets used up by comic book films. Yeah. That's no. probably where it's getting at. Yeah, and like, in that respect, he's right. As a filmmaker, it's probably quite difficult to get something out if it isn't. And I, I, do you reckon anyone's asked Martin Scorsese to make a Marvel film? No. <laughs> because can you imagine? It would be very gritty, wouldn't it? <laughs> It'd have uh, some interesting music in it, at least. You'd have Joe Pesci playing <laughs> um, Magneto, beating someone to death with a magnetic, with a metal pole. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio would be eating some livers or something. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose Joker, to be fair, Joker was very Scorsese. Yeah, it's definitely the most scorsese of the lot. So, more like that. Mm. Yeah, interesting. No, I'll see you a lot, mate. Cool. Well, there we go. Let's go straight into Everlong by the Foo Fighters, then. Yay! Which was in Wolf of Wall Street. Scorsese. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Okay, places, people, it's showtime! Does anyone know the motivation of my character? That's how I got the role in Jurassic Park. Before that, I was in a shampoo commercial. What? No sugar? I want sugar! Okay, okay, quiet on the set. We premiere in three, 
two, one. You're listening to Screen Bucket with Adam and Rob. Adam, it is time for your quizzy. Yay! Quizzy, 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 quiz. Right. Quiz, quiz, quiz. Quiz, quiz. Evil Dead 2. Yes. Your favourite movie. Well, one of your favourite movies. Yes. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna see. I got 13 out of 14 for JP. Let's see if you can. <laughs> JP. Yeah. Uh, are you best friends? Yeah. Me and JP over there. <laughs> JP. Yeah. Me and JP are gonna eat a bag of KP. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and then we're gonna go to BP for some snacks. Yeah. And let's go. But first, let's go to ED. Oh. Oh. Nice. EDII. EDII. Um. All right. Question one. Okay. According to the Zivda commentary, when the cast returned to the cabin to shoot the sequel, what state did they find it to be in? It, it had burned down, it was full of horse manure, it had vanished without a trace. Burned down, I mean. It was full of horse manure. Oh. I didn't know that. That's not about the film, is it? No. Carry on. What is the name of the professor who owns the cabin Ash is staying in? Professor Raymond Noby, Professor Shemp, or Professor Ted Raimi? Uh, Noby. Noby's cabin. Correct. Which world famous writer convinced Dino De Laurenti to finance Evil Dead 2? Stephen King. I did not know that. Yeah, Stephen King loved the first film. Did he? Yeah. Ooh. Why couldn't Betsy Baker reprise her role as Linda in the sequel? She hated the film, she was possessed by a deadite, or she was pregnant. Oh. Do you know? I think she hated it, but I, she also might have been pregnant. Uh, that's tricky. I'm going to go that she was pregnant. You're correct. Ah, good. Well done. I think she hated the filmmakers, not the film. Okay, well they did make her do some horrible things. <laughs> In what year does the, the narrator imply the Necronomicon vanished? 1300 AD? 1987 AD or 666 BC? 1300 AD. That's got to be right. How is Ash depicted on the pages of the Necronomicon? As a deadite? As a conquering hero with his boomstick and chainsaw? Or with his head in his hands, crying like a baby? <laughs> well, it feels like it probably wanted to be the third one, but it's the second one. Nice. Yes, Interestingly, his trousers were the wrong colour. Were they? What colour were they? They were white, I believe. And of course, he had dark... Denim jeans. Uh, no. Or were they chinos? Sort of cords, I think. Yes. Dark brown cords. Yes. What iconic horror item can be seen hanging above the door of the workshed? Leatherface's chainsaw, Jason Voorhees' hockey mask, or Freddy Krueger's glove? Freddy's glove. Ooh, I didn't know that. I'm learning all sorts of things. They had a rivalry with Craven. Did they really? Yeah, there was a whole thing where you would show a, a horror poster or something in the background of a, another horror film saying that's, that's fiction that's right. this is the real horror uh, so they kept I think Wes Craven Not on Elm Street they were watching Evil Dead or something right so oh. they put yeah anyway that's very clever when Ash is possessed the necklace on the floor near to him is laid out in what shape a crucifix a skull or a love heart a skull correct alright you're smashing through these now Putting that early uh, lost point behind you. Which hand does Ash chop off? His right. Correct. Who's laughing now? What book does Ash use to trap his demonic hand? A farewell to arms. Nice. <laughs> Very good joke. <laughs> what was Kurt Russell's favourite line from the movie? Who's laughing now? Groovy or Workshed? I think it's Workshed. Correct. Yeah. 
Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know Kurt Russell. Although I, I think the question, I think it's actually the truth is slightly different. Kurt Russell asked Bruce Campbell to say on the set of um, Escape from LA. Yeah. yeah, on the set of he went up to Bruce Campbell and said, "Can you just say Workshed?" And he did, and then he said, "I don't know what that means, but my son was desperate to get that." Really? So yeah. Oh, brilliant. Which Marvel superhero has an Evil Dead Two poster on his bedroom wall? <laughs> Wolverine, Spider-Man, or Franklin Richards? Who? I don't even know who Franklin Richards is. Spider-Man? He's a nerd, so yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not a question about even a two, is it? No. Complete the line. That thing in the cellar is not my mother. Ted Raimi sweating his tits off in a costume, <laughs> or one ugly mother effer. Yeah. Not my mother. Yeah. What is the name of the rat that appears in the Oh, for movie? God's sake. Senor, Senor Cajones, Shemp or Bruce? Senor Cajones. <laughs> yeah! Oh my God, you got it right. <laughs> Senor Cajones. I was oh, just thinking what, what would make them laugh. <laughs> yeah. What car does Ash drive? A 1955 Chevrolet 150, a Pontiac Trans Am, or a 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88? It's the Delta, yeah. Yeah, buddy. All right, so we're drawing. Do you want to yeah. answer this final? We've Are we drawing? What's your answer? Oh, well, we're drawing now. Yeah, because you. Well, you're on thirteen or fourteen at the moment. You. I got fourteen out of fifteen. Oh, 14 out you of got 15. thirteen out of fourteen. Oh. Well, you've got to find me another Jurassic Park question. Otherwise, it's not fair. Or should we just leave it? What's <laughs> leave it with me winning no uh, no <clears throat> also the one I got wrong was not about the film well that's not my problem <laughs> alright let's uh, let's find a mutual question so let's go for an Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark question for a tiebreaker okay oh. Raiders of the Lost Ark in what year did the events of the film take place 1936 1938 1940 or 1942 uh 1938, I'll go for. I'm going to go for 36. Which is oh, correct. Oh, bugger. Woohoo. No. No. Should we do best of three? Yeah, if you want. <laughs> What's the name of Jock's pet snake? Frank, Archie, Reggie, or Jerry? Uh, Reggie. I'm going to go with Jerry. No, 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 what? yes, yes, okay. yes. All right, so what about this one? What word does Indy write on the chalkboard in class? Paleolithic, neuropathic, homeopathic, or neolithic? I'm going to go for paleolithic. Well, unless you wanted to go for that. No, I'm going to go neolithic. You've done right. paleo, yeah? Okay, this is the big one. Yeah! Oh. Victory! Fine, so, fine, <laughs> fine. So there's, there's, I got 16 questions right. Mm. You got 14. Is that right? I think so. Well, well don't say it like that because... It's four, only 14. Well, well, no, because I got 13 out of 14 and you got 14 out of 15. And yeah, then we so had I got one more right and then I got two. You two didn't get one more right because there wasn't initially that many Jurassic Park questions. <laughs> so you, you can't say that you got more than me. So shut up. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> <sighs> Adam's Film Reviews The Good Liar 2019 So tell me 
Have you done this a lot? Met people on the computer service. Don't you find it's always the same? You mean the anticipation followed by the letdown? But I tell myself, brace up. This time it will be different. Which is why I must now confess to you a deception of my part. My name is in fact not Brian, it's Roy. To the future. How much do you think she's worth? Nearly three million pounds. You're going to take the lot? You bloody bet I'm going to take it all. Is that your grandson? It's too soon to be getting so close to him. I've grown very fond of you. Do you know who you are? You're the only person on this planet who makes me feel that I'm not alone. I know things about you, who you really are. You don't want to do this, Roy. It's the game. It's the adrenaline rush. What if it is? Adapted from the novel of the same name by Nicholas Searle, The Good Liar is directed by Bill Conton, starring Ian McKellen as Roy Courtney and Helen Mirren as Betty McLeish. After arranging to meet, widower Roy Courtney meets with recent widow Betty in a restaurant somewhere in London. Having met online, the pair introduce themselves at first with false names and awkwardness, but soon open up with one another, soon launching into an affectionate relationship built mostly on companionship. Except that isn't the whole story. Roy is a long-time con man and confidence trickster. When he's not arranging to meet lonely, wealthy women at fancy restaurants, Roy can be found in the seedy corners of the capital, arranging money transfers and questionable financial deals, with only one thing in mind. Profit. While with Betty, however, Roy plays the role of the weak, charming old man, earning the sympathy and trust of Betty, his latest target. When Betty reveals she has money to burn, Roy twists the knife, sidling himself into Betty's life and home, much to the suspicion and resentment of her grandson Stephen, played by Russell Tovey. As Roy weasels himself into Betty's finances, Roy's secret life begins to bubble to the surface, with a holiday trip with Stephen to Berlin, answering many questions, yet posing so many more. And that's about the moment where the film starts to feel... silly. Sometimes you can watch a film and never know where the source material came from. Other times, you know exactly where the story came from, and what's more, you know exactly who the audience is too. In the case of The Good Liar, I'm willing to bet the money in my pocket that the type of people reading it are also the type of people who grow courgettes, listen to Radio 4, and spend their evenings watching murder mysteries on ITV4. You can see it from the moment the story begins to unravel. The shocking mysteries, the chapter cliffhangers, the utterly ridiculous and terrible ending that expects you to ogle at the genius of the unraveller. This is the story that at the end of each chapter, you return to your left, grab a biscuit, and chat endlessly with the person sat beside you about how you didn't see that coming. I can't be too harsh on the good liar. Carter Burwell's soundtrack at least sets the tone perfectly well. It looks good and tells the story well. It goes without saying that Helen Mirren and particularly Ian McKellen, perform exceptionally well here. It's the final act that lets the film down for me. I enjoyed the gradual unravelling of the characters. I enjoyed the setting. But the final act just felt rushed and kind of dumb. For an otherwise pretty classy and well thought out story, it deserved better. But it will do. 
This is a film that is absolutely perfect to take your mum to. And that was the theme from The Good Liar by Carter Burwell. Nice. A man who's done lots of my favourite tracks. Nice. Yes. Very good. Yes. So, trailers. Trailers. Many, many trailers. Many trailers coming out. Not that many films. No. But lots of trailers. Not, lots of trailers. Do you want to start with Colour Out of Space? Colour Out of Space, yes. Okay, Colour Out of Space is the latest H.P. Lovecraft adaptation. Um, it's directed by Richard Stanley. Who hasn't done a lot. And looks like a complete weirdo. <laughs> Sorry, it was a very long-haired man in a black cowboy hat. Um, not that there's anything against that look. It's by uh, Spectrovision as well, who did Mandy. Yes, Mandy and, was very good. And you can absolutely tell that because it's got... Nic- number one, it's got Nicolas Cage in it. Already winning, yeah. Uh, and number two, they're crazy about colour. Mm, very, very vibrant purples and greens yeah, yeah, and yeah. like that. So Colour Out of Space was a short story by H.P. Lovecraft where a mysterious alien colour... Mm. appears in the night sky and drives people mad. Um, Anything that drives Nicolas Cage mad is <laughs> always going to be good. Yeah. I think that's that's his niche. People, a lot of people I speak to about Nicolas Cage can't stand him. And Why? I don't know. I love him. I want to cuddle with him. Yeah. He's brilliant. I love it when he goes mental. He's got the best mental face. He has got the best mental face. Of any actor who's ever lived. Ever since uh, uh, Face Off. Face Off, a Bad Lieutenant. You need to see the oh, Bad Lieutenant. Oh, I've seen it. It's oh, yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just goes insane. Um, yeah, brilliant. So, yeah, really, really looking forward to that. That's going to be out soon? Yeah. Oh, it's won awards already. So it has. Toronto Film Festival, Nicolas Cage. Uh, win nice but yeah it's getting great reviews actually okay fantastic that is good oh there we go here's a good quote a welcome return for director Richard Stanley colour out of space mixes tart B-movie pulp with visually alluring Lovecraftian horror and a dash of Gonzo Nicolas Cage ooh a dash of Gonzo Nicolas Cage I like that I mean that is a great review and the poster looks awesome too yeah that looks sick it's a shame they spelled colour wrong yes there's a U in colour there's a you in all of us. Hmm. What next? We'll talk about um, Invisible Man. Invisible Man. Ooh. Looks brilliant. Yeah, it does. And I always just thought that if there's a film about Invisible Man, it's going to be really boring. Because it's just an invisible guy. But they made this look brilliant. Yeah, it's all following in the footsteps of the Hollow Man. Yes. Where he's completely mad. Who's completely mad. Stars Elizabeth Moss, who escapes an abusive relationship. Um, the guy allegedly kills himself. She inherits $5 million. Yes. And tries to move on with her life, but then she starts getting haunted by this presence that is the invisible man. And no one believes her. <laughs> and I think she's going crazy. Well, yeah. And it, it looks interesting. And the trailer, while it appears to give everything away... We're only seeing it from her point of view, so I wonder if they're going to build on that. Mm. It's definitely more horror. Yeah. Um, this was originally announced under the Universal's Dark Universe right. thing they were doing, which kicked off with The Mummy, but The Mummy was rubbish. <laughs> Absolute rubbish. They were going to have Johnny Depp playing the Invisible Man. Right. But that all got cancelled because of the terrible thing. Um, so the rights for this got bought out by Blumhouse. 
in, they've obviously given it more. I don't know if they've given it more of a horror vibe, but that's definitely the way it's that's going. Very, very horror-y. Uh I can't wait. Yeah, looks awesome. Looks brilliant. Looks really good. Next one, controversial one, because I liked it. Code Eight. I think Code Eight looked lame as hell. <laughs> Code Eight is appears to be a story about superhero people or people with magical powers who are being hunted by the police. Yeah, or they're restricted in their lifestyle. Yeah, to, you know. use I think using their powers is illegal. Right, we've got some awesome like police people with all their suits and action. The police people looked cool. They had robot arms going on and stuff like yeah. that. Yes, but synthwave soundtrack. Yeah, but then the the cast looks dumb. Everyone's ridiculously good looking. It does look weird. Yeah, uh, it gives me a bit of a, um, a cyberpunk thing. It's weird that they've kind of swapped out. Ordinarily, the cyberpunk sort of stuff would be people with robot arms mm. being illegal. Um, but this seems to swap that out with superpowers. Mm. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm not going to watch it. It looks awesome. absolutely no chance of it. It's got robot things flying oh, about. Like a cat and a ball of yarn when it comes to robots. Um, what else have we watched? So, The Grudge. Grudge, yeah. Um, m- maybe Pointless. Um, John Cho, I like John Cho because of Harold and Kumar. Um, he's uh, in, investigating a house and it's a grudge house and the grudgy p- little children come and go, and, yeah, yeah, it's pointless. I mean, I mean, to the extent that I remember when the trailer for the grudge, the Sarah Michelle Gellar grudge came out and they showed the hands coming out of the back of the head in the shower. Yes. And they did exactly the same thing in this one. Why? Uh, and it looked worse, I thought. Yeah. And yeah, and there was a big news about this with Sam Raimi coming back as a producer. Yeah, but that means very little. No, I mean, yeah, I'm not sold on it. I was quite excited at first, but yeah, nah, mm. nah, 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 nah. Uh, Then, then we get to the really good one, Little Joe. Yeah, Little Joe. Tell us about Little Joe. Uh, so they've. Genetically made, uh, they've genetically modified some sort of plant that gives off happy pheromones, and it's a big, everyone's successful and everyone's happy about it. But then one of them does something differently. Little Joe. Little Joe. So you've got all of these like botanists in a room, like science plant Mm. men and women, and they're starting to get weird. And you don't see what I liked about this trailer. It was extremely unsettling, but they didn't show any violence. Nope. They didn't show anyone losing their mind. It was just people looking uneasy in a room. And a brightly lit room as well. Brightly lit room. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It had a really uncomfortable vibe to it. The music helped. Yes. Um, Yeah, it just looks really cool. It reminds me of a Robert Heinlein short story where people get infected by the pheromone of a plant and stop. The army soldiers and they start putting their guns down just lying they just become plants really and they just want to lie in the sun all day amazing yeah anyway um that's it for trailers isn't it yes yes that'll do so i want to see all of them i don't want to i don't care about code i don't care about the grudge i desperately want to see little joe and of course my man nicholas cage yes indeed can't wait cool now let's play a track you've suggested I suggested Rawhide theme from the Blues Brothers. Yes. Mm. Hollow Dell Media's Screen Bucket with Adam and Rob. And that was Kiss the Minority by Gooligan. Yes, from the Ideal soundtrack. Nice. Yes. So, 
It's the end of the show. It is. Have you had a nice time? Yes, it was lovely, sir. Good. Pass me another biscuit, won't you? Mm. Oh, yes. Mm. Yes, quite. Mm. Um, have we mentioned the Halloween muffins? No, we haven't mentioned the Halloween muffins. So as to uh, getting rid of all of their Halloween stuff before it melts. <laughs> yeah. Um, before it gets absorbed into the gallows of hell. And they've got these Halloween muffins, chocolate and orange. Mm. And they're delicious. They're so good. They've got a nice gooey centre. Yeah. So if you're going past the I don't want to upsell as the do I? Well, the 25p is not going to make a massive dent. Good. Yeah, if you see the 25p muffins <laughs> in Asda... Get... Four, yeah, four four muffins a pack, 25p. Lovely. Yes. And I'm going to go back and buy all of them, so all you can't... Well, you won't get that. You would be known as the Muffin Man. I'm the Muffin Man. Oh, Cornelius Moneybags is the money <laughs> ma- Muffin Man. Yes. Cornelius Moneybags. Yes, we haven't mentioned. So Annie uh, was... We got Annie in to play the titular... Daphne Thunderstorm in our 48 hour film Daphne Thunderstorm and the Pumpkin Scarecrow. Mm. It came out on Halloween night. Did, I, did we talk about this before? No, we didn't. I don't think we've we've mentioned it, but. Okay. If we have, we can take the... this out, can we? Mm. Um, so do check out Daphne Thunderstorm and the Pumpkin Scarecrow. It's on YouTube. And it's been our most successful production to date. Yeah, certainly of the non sketch variety. Of the non sketch variety. Yeah, we got. We went out on Halloween. Mm. We came back. By the time we came back, it had a thousand views. Thousands. I mean, that probably sounds insignificant compared it's, to some people. Yes, but Ru- we're <laughs> we're happy about it. We we are happy about it. Yeah, yeah. it's nice. It's a it was a dovetailing of happened a Halloween film released on Halloween. I think. Yeah, and um, I moving forward, I would like to shoot films more like that. You know, because Quagga's has been hard stretched out over the year and it's it's often hard to keep motivated with something where you have to wait a couple of months to get certain actresses back and stuff yeah, like yeah, that yeah. but with next time we make a film and we talked about this before and I'd advise any other filmmakers to, to, to do the same if you're going to film something that's going to take a while to do just book two weeks off and get it all done yes indeed just do it but I think between larger projects it is worth doing smaller things we obviously did 31 smaller things yes or 32 uh of the last month. But now when Quaggers is done, that's when we're going to probably do our, as discussed, 12 films in 12 months, which mm. will be shot like Daphne Thunderstorm. Yes. 48-hour films, done and dusted. Yep. In and out. Move on. Just, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the point. Get it out there mm. and then bubble back into the recesses and bring something out. And blah, blah, yes. And just keep pushing content, really. Never stop. Never stop. Never stop. And it won't, it shouldn't knack us out too much because it's only one weekend. Yeah. And some of them probably be less than that. Mm. So, yes. Now then, we started doing it before we had our summer break. But then things took over because of certain events and certain timings we wanted to keep. Now we've covered October and we've covered November. We've got a bit of a gap between now and Christmas. Yeah, that's films true. to talk about. So, I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to choose a book. Oh. And you're going to tell me to stop. And that will be our film. Okay. This one. All right, cool. So I've got here Midnight Riot by Ben Aronovich. Ben Aronovich. Ben Aronovich. Midnight Riot. I've not read it yet, but it's been sat on my desk for ages. So you're going to pick a word, and the closest thing that's to, film-wise, we're going to watch that film. Yes. Okay. So we've got two of these before Christmas. All right. 
So tell me when to stop. Stop. Okay. Tell me when to stop. Stop. Stopped and close, but I'm going to go breath. Breath. Oh. Breath. Breathing. <sighs> Air. <sighs> Air. <sighs> um, do you want to do another one? No. Breath's fine. All right. Bre- what, what, what film? I shall surprise you. But I don't like your surprises. <laughs> what, was the, what was the last result we did? You got one. You got oil. Oh, and we, and we did. Bad Mats too. Okay, so that was good. Yeah. All right, all right, all right, sweet. You were very unhappy about that as well. There will be blood. <laughs> and then, to be fair, Mad Max 2 was a, an inspired choice. So yes. I have faith in you. And that's where Tornadius money bags came from. True. True. There you go. All our success came back to that random word search. <laughs> cool. Um, okay, yeah, so you can find us at. You can find us on Instagram at Hollowdale Media. Yep. You can find us on Twitter at Hollowdale Media or at Screen underscore Bucket. And of course, you can find North Arts Radio at North Arts Radio on Twitter and Instagram, I believe. Nice. Nice. Yeah, keep following. We'll keep you updated with upcoming things. And enjoy the rest of your November as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Enjoy that cold, cold air. Oh, yes. And to play us out, we've got... Jailhouse Rock by Elvis. Is it by Elvis? It is by Elvis. It's definitely by Elvis. It's definitely Elvis. Because he didn't sound like Elvis earlier. I when think he's young Elvis. Right. That's my own. That's old Elvis. Yeah. Young Elvis is... <laughs> yeah. Right, cool. <laughs> All right, see you later. Uh, that'll be worked that out. Bye. Dell Screen Bucket with Adam and Rob. And that was the show. Good. <laughs> did you enjoy the show this no, week? I did, actually. It is good. Is it? Um, In case anyone didn't has not noticed, I'm hanging quite badly. <laughs> um, I'd had some cheesy chips last night and I met, I met it again. It came back to visit, oh. if you know what I mean. It came back up the stairs. Hello. Hello, I'm your cheesy chips. Hello, just, I'm back. You ate 20 minutes ago. <laughs> Fancy seeing you here. Oh, dear. Uh-huh. And um, it's been a, it hasn't been a struggle, but my brain's not working properly. <laughs> the look of sort of faint panic in your eyes when you say things like this. <laughs> it's like, I'm dying and no one's helping me. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, thank you for sticking with me on this one. Professional to the end. Professional to the end. Yes. Which is very close by the look of it. <laughs> very much so. Mm. Um, yeah. Should we, uh, should we say our farewells? We should. Where, where, can, they, where can they find us, Rob? Um, at, well, if you go to Twitter, you can go at screen underscore bucket. Mm. Well done. Um, and North Arts Radio. Yes. North, at North Arts Radio. Yes, yes. On Instagram, you can follow Hollowdale Media um, and Screen Bucket. No, not Screen Bucket. No, just Hollowdale Media. Just, just Hollowdale Media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got it right because I corrected myself first. <laughs> ha! And, I mean, follow us as well. We're on there. Um, actually, don't follow me because... No, shut up. You can also find us on Patreon. Yeah! com slash Hollowdale Media. If you like what we do, do consider signing up and helping us out. We're not asking for much, but everything we do get does go straight back into making these productions. Yes. And we would be eternally grateful. Definitely. And uh, yeah, just for the price of a cup of coffee, you can 
really help little filmmakers achieve their dreams. Indeed. And, and you get a signed postcard for that, don't you? You do, for okay. the time being. Don't know how long it will last, but yes, you will get a signed postcard. Yes. Uh, and you can see anything we've been up to on our YouTube and Instagram channels as well. Yes. So you can see where the money's actually going. Indeed. Cool. So, yes, with that, we'll see you in a fortnight. Yes, good day. Good day, sir. <laughs>